Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today I have a fellow chiropractor with me. This is Dr. Greg Mojan, who I found online because that's how I like to find my people. And he's fascinating to me. I reached out to him and then I went back on his site and I realized he's a North Dakota guy. So it's like we're both chiropractors. We're both from North Dakota. I just found out he has played football against the Velva Aggies right here in Velva. So I already think we have a lot in common. So true. Now all the Velva listeners are like, oh, oh, he's one of those guys. He's a he's an ex-Bula minor. So so Dr. Sarah, what an honor to be on here. You know, there's something about having that common ground of being a North Dakotan. You know, there's something about how we were raised and how we treat people and just how we do life, right? I grew up much like you in a in a ranching community. And I look back and I get I get teared up even thinking about just how we did life. If someone needed something, the question wasn't was wasn't how much is going to cost. It was what can we do for you? I remember farmers that maybe had cancer or had something in their family or were working cattle. You just took care of them. You just did the right thing. Mm-hmm. So what a, what a cool place to serve people because uh, a lot of people move away from those small towns, right? Yeah. So I, I just want to give you props to have a heart for your community, to have a heart for those people. Uh, I guarantee you are rogue in, in North Dakota with how you do and what you do. So I just want to just give you some love because it's, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. So congrats to you. I'm super grateful. Well, I appreciate those kind words. And yes, I think it's cool that we have the North Dakota bond, but I do think we take it a little deeper with the class B bond. You know, when you're, you know, the the class B versus class A, and I'm not putting anyone down, but it it is definitely a different lifestyle to be a class B school in North Dakota than a class A school. Such a true story. And now I think Beulah is even classy. It's been so long since I've, I graduated in 1996. For those that are good at math, you can be like, how old is this guy? Like what, how old is he? So I'm 43. And, uh, and it was funny because we've, we've kind of moved around the world. We've had some, some cool opportunities. And I, we lived in Nebraska for a bit and I was in this gym in Omaha, Nebraska. And this guy's like, he went to NDSU and, and the joke in my house is if you, if you want to own the farm, you go to UND. If you want to work on the farm, you go to NDSU. However, my entire family went to NDSU except for me. And I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Mayville, Portland. And I said, oh my gosh, I played against Mayville, Portland, my senior year in basketball at the state class B championship. And we lost by one point. And he's like, yeah, that was my senior year. I remember that team. What? So, um, right. So I remember very clearly uh, playing at the Bismarck Civic Center uh, uh, in front of 12,000 people, which is which is a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, I, I think probably Class B boys um, is the biggest tournament we can say in North Dakota. And we, my team, we played Mayville Portland, the opening round of the state championship in 1998, but we did beat them in overtime. Nice. So there, we both uh, played yeah, Mayville yeah. in yeah. the state you guys, tournament. You guys took them out. That- <laughs> So good. Well, so neat. And isn't it interesting how our, how our upbringings shape our future and they give us this foundation of, of who we're designed to be and who we're meant to be. And uh, yeah, it's fun to talk about the old days. My kids, if they listen to this, they're like, oh my gosh, dad, you're so old. (laughs) Oh, you are not. I bet they think that you are very cool. And I want to know, how did you get to be who you are today? Like, how did you get on this path? Why are you a chiropractor? Why you're not just a chiropractor. And 
you're a functional medicine doctor and a lot of people don't know what that is. So let's start with how you got on this path because nine out of 10 chiropractors that I know want to help, want to serve, want to fix everything they can. Let's find out why you chose this. That's unquestionable. It's such a, there is a heart to serve. There's a heart to help. And uh, being, being a, a fairly high end uh, athlete, I had uh, a knee surgery and an arm surgery and at the bone and joint clinic in Bismarck. And Dr. Carlson was my surgeon uh, for my arm. And I, I asked him if I could follow him around my senior year. And, and, and Dr. Sarah, it's so clear that I can, I can close my eyes and I can tell you the shirt and tie that I had on that day. And it was neat because it was what I call definitive medicine, right? Someone had a broken arm. They needed surgery. They had, it was very definitive. I, I grew up in a house where we we were pretty naturally minded. I actually saw a traditionally trained bone setter, not a chiropractor, the early part of my life. We had this old guy named Benny Shute in, the, in Beulah, North Dakota, that was a bone setter. So you'd go to his house after football practice. What? And, and he, yeah, it's like, and my grandpa, who my mom's 100% German from Richardson, and my grandpa would go and see this guy. So, so long story short, I followed Dr. Carlson around. And I knew that I had the aptitude, I had the, the academics to do this. And, and by God's grace, at the end of the day, he said, Greg, I just want to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. And he, he had this huge stack of files. And he said, uh, don't get me wrong, I get to help people. I have a nice house, I drive nice cars. However, I get to see my family maybe an hour a day. And, and by God's grace, the, it was just taken from me that this is not what you want to do. So um, I grew up seeing, seeing a fairly well-known chiropractor in Hazen, North Dakota, as, as I got older. And, and, I went, and in my sophomore year of college, I went and visited him. And he said, here's the scoop, man. If my kids have something, I get to be a part of it. And I get to help people without drugs and surgery. And I get to honor the healing ability of the body. And I, I was like, I'm in. And in two weeks, I was, I was enrolled and ready to go to Minneapolis and start grad school. And little, little known to me, so my dad was a Senex manager in Buell at the time, and my, my, my first trimester of chiropractic school, my dad gave me a phone call. He actually called all of us boys. I'm the third of four boys. Uh, and he said the, the three words that now elicit the most emotion in the world, and he said, I have cancer. And, and he said, would you be willing to talk to your professors and take some time and meet us down at the Mayo Clinic? Well, I went to school in Minneapolis, which is an hour and a half or so from the Mayo Clinic. And, and my dad at the time, six foot five, 200 pound, tall, skinny guy. Um, uh, other than if you looked at him, you'd say he's healthy. But if you saw his diagnosis, you'd say he's sick. And so we went down to the Mayo Clinic. My dad had a urinary bladder cancer. And the pivot for me, and I believe in our life, we have, we have pivotal things that happen to us, which it changes us forever. And I believe we have spa experiences where you're like, eh, that was fun, but it doesn't really change anything. Mm -hmm. So that day at the Mayo Clinic, when my dad was on the gurney, my dad took off his wedding ring, uh, Dr. Sarah, and he handed it to me. And uh, just like yesterday, he said, Greg, if I don't come out, I want you to have this. And I was like, no, hell no. <laughs> it's not how we're doing this. And, and that completely changed my trajectory from um, why I want to be a doctor, why I want to help people. Um, and, and, and initially, it was selfish. Like, I'm not going to call my kids. And then Years into practice, I had a patient say to me, Dr. Greg, who do you think you are knowing what you know and not sharing it with everybody? Um, so early on in my very first practice, I had a mom walk into our clinic with her three boys, two of which were severely autistic. And she said, can you help us? And I said, I, I will do my very best. So I became one of the first um, Dan doctors in the United States to feed autism now. It's the, the biomedical approach to treating autism. 
Um, fast forward, um, I have about 5,000 hours of hyperbaric oxygen therapy under my belt. I have about 2,500 IV chelation and IV nutrition therapy sessions under my belt. Wow. Um, we've had integrated clinics over the years where I've had nurse practitioners and medical personnel that the goal was how can we deliver the best care possible? And, and I have a huge respect for the philosophy that I learned with my chiropractic education. And the basis is simply, I tell my patients, I have way too many college credits and a strong belief in my savior that the body is designed to heal. It doesn't need our help. It just needs no interference. And chiropractic is, it just really honors that. And then I saw that, that, um, that in addition to that, we need to be talking about, you know, like what BJ Palmer talked about, that chemical subluxation, that thing that's going on. And, and with the conversation of um, nutrition and autoimmunity and all these things that are happening now, I, I have a huge respect for the chiropractic group. And then I, so I went then and did formal training with the Institute for Functional Medicine. I essentially trained like right beside Dr. Mark Hyman. And we're, we taught, we're taught these functional medicine uh, understandings. We, we read the same lab work, we read it differently. Our yeah. approach is not drugs and surgery. Our approach is very lifestyle derived. So, so what I do now, um, you know, fast forward, I've been in practice for almost 20 years. So I get to treat a small portion of my practice is here locally in Minnesota. Uh, I would say half of my local practice is people with chronic Lyme disease. And then the other 80% of my practice is I treat people virtually essentially around the world. Uh, it's really a unique opportunity to use technology. I've done that now for about seven years to use technology, to read lab work, to use Zoom and technology to touch people and to walk them through the journey of what it takes to A, why are you not well? And what does it take to get well and stay well? I love it. And do you think that being a chiropractor, do you kind of, I kind of feel like in my life, I don't take no for an answer. So if someone says they're sick or something's wrong, in my mind, I'm nonstop thinking, what can we do to help you? Who else can you see? What can we do? What tests? What therapy? I almost refuse to take no for an answer. Do you feel that way? You know, I think what I'm learning as I've been in practice for as long as I have is I, I understand that in some cases, uh, I tell people that many times I, I'm more concerned about you being well than sometimes you are concerned. So I think it's really important yes. for me to understand who they're bringing to the table, who their support system is, what their self-talk is. Uh, I love learning. Um, there's actually a gentleman by the name of Martin Seligman, and he's actually the father of positive psychology. And he has this cool test because most psychology says, how can you go from like negative 10 to negative five? Where Martin Seligman said, how can you go from five to 25? And he has a test and my, my top score in the test was love of learning. So for me, that's like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I want to learn more about, uh, you know, Borrelia burgdorferi or something goofy like a Lyme spirochete. And then because, and I just had a, a new client here in the clinic today, and I, my heart just like flipped outside of my chest because I realized that if not me, then whom? She has this bent, she has this understanding, and she's been from in, down quite a few steps in the medical world, and she's, they're just not giving her what she needs. Mm -hmm. So I think the heart of us is as a servant is to serve people and I think the, the part that we always need to be careful of is, is do they want it as bad as we want it for them? That's a really good point because I had to take a step back at one point because I cared way more about people than they cared about themselves. And that was really hard on me because I almost yeah. took it personally. Right. And you're probably an empath, my dear, right? So you take these things yeah. upon yourself, you feel their pain and you don't know why they don't feel their pain. So you're like, what the hell? Like how, 
why don't you take this seriously? I'm taking this more seriously than you do. And that's why I, so I, I talk about two aspects to functional medicine. I talk about the science of functional medicine, which I love. I actually teach doctors how to read lab work through a functional medicine lens. And to me, that's uh, respectfully, we've actually written software to read labs, how we read labs. So it's very, very algorithmic, very scientific. Uh, that's the easy part of my job. The tough part of my job is the art of functional medicine. It's, it's the, what is your self-talk? What is your environment? Do you live in a moldy house? What, is, what are your limiting beliefs? Um, who, what route have you taken? So I love the art because that's where we get to be creative. That's where we get to truly fight for somebody. And the crazy thing is we get some really tough cases here. And the thing that we've had to change in our approach is our accessibility to our patients. Because we get people that are so sick, if someone's our patient, this is different from 99.9% .9 of clinicians. If someone is an active patient in our practice, they have unlimited access to their clinician. What that means is they don't get monthly visits or they can email once a week. They have unlimited access. They can schedule an in-person, a Zoom, a phone call. They can send a, a HIPAA-compliant text message whenever they want. Because what we find when a person's walking through a health journey, there are going to be curveballs. There are going to be audibles that are called, and they need an answer. And sometimes they need an answer right now. So that's one of the things I actually did a, a, a study group with some of my patients years ago. And I said, hey, if we could give you better care, what would that look like? And they're like, give us give us better access to the clinicians. So a lot of my colleagues say I'm crazy for doing it. Yet what I can tell you is our clients and our patients are like, it is amazing uh, to have that kind of accessibility. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you, I, I want to follow up with your dad. You said that your dad had cancer, but now he's been cancer free for several years. Yeah. And this is, this is also another really important thing for me because as chiropractors, we're like, no, like you don't need to do that. Like that, that, that is not necessary um, there's been two very distinct situations in my life where I believe the Lord has said, by the way, bro, there's a place and time for medicine. So what they did for my dad um, was they cut out my dad's urinary bladder. They took out his prostate. They took a one foot chunk of his small intestine and made a new bladder. So um, that was 1998, by the way. Um, wow. so, so now we're, what, 23 years later. And right now, as I'm having this conversation, my dad is probably uh, in Mesa, Arizona, walking with my mom in their retirement village. So I'm grateful. I'm super grateful for that. The second opportunity was the birth of our first child. Um, our, so my wife and I have five children. And our first child, when she was trying to give labor, it just, just wasn't progressing. Uh, lo and behold, our daughter had the cord wrapped twice around her neck. And uh, I realized, and this just struck me after Adrian was born, is a hundred years ago, I would probably be a widower. Yeah. So guess what? All five of our kids, all five of our children had the cord wrapped twice around their neck. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? So, so I believe that the Lord puts things in our path along the way to, to check us, to give us an understanding because I, I'm, I'm the personality where like, I'm pretty hardcore. Like I'm, I, I would swing to one side of the fence pretty quick, but I believe that I've had opportunities in my life to go, Hmm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually grateful for that. And I think that's interesting to note because I will have some people say that chiropractors dislike medical doctors or vice versa. And I always say, no, there is a time and a place for it. But I do think, you know, when I get especially women, I'm assuming you see the same thing. I get a lot of women in here who are on, 
usually more than one, a lot of times two or three uh, medication for anxiety or depression. I think maybe sometimes we could get to the root of that problem instead of just trying to put a Band-Aid over a bullet wound. And I say that very frequently, and I'm not saying some people don't need medication because they do, but I always think that they should maybe look at other options before kind of just numbing the pain. I agree with you. And then that situation that you talked about is so real. Uh, by the way, mental health is a very real thing, especially in the current state of the union that's going on. I also think it brings up an interesting point that uh, I feel like a lot of chiropractors think they need to be able to fix everything. Like it's if it's meant to be, it's up to me kind of a mentality. Yep. Uh, respectfully, Doc, I, I would tell these people like, hey, unless you are a social worker or a trained psychologist or mental health therapist and that person's in your office, you're probably not the person to provide that care, to do the trauma work, to dig up the old wounds to get there. And I can, I tell you what, when you ask those questions of people, it is blaringly obvious how trauma has impacted us, how yes. um, huge situations in our life, no doubt it's, it's a very real thing. And I think what I think what I've learned is it's important for us to have people uh, referrers that we can send people to, mm -hmm. to truly get the care that they deserve, as opposed to saying, oh, I better go learn a new technique. I better go learn how to do emotional work. When in reality, uh, my, one of my favorite lines is from Oprah Winfrey, and she says, stay in your lane. And what that means is be good at something and, and stay good at that thing and become great at that thing instead of uh, dabbling in lots of things. And I think that's super important. Actually, I just had a chiropractor that I did a lab review with, and he's like, I don't want to learn what you do. I have an appreciation for what you do, and I'm going to hire you to do it for me because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think that's important for us to know. And I also, I, I want to, I want to just talk to those that are maybe listening to this that have mental health stuff, like it's real and, and, and your hurt is real and, and your body's response is real. And it's super important to not just swallow those things and, or even feel like you're, it, it, you deserve that. Like it's worth healing and it's worth doing the dirty work to walk through that. And I know you'll feel better when you do so. Yes. And that is why it's good to have more than one practitioner because like me, myself, I have kind of a team of health people that I like to, you know, go to because everyone does do something different. You can't expect someone to do everything, but do you find in your practice when you get some patients come in, you're really their last resort. And they're looking at you and saying, I'm told nothing's wrong. My lab work is fine. Everything's fine. I'm told that I'm fine, but I know I'm not fine. And you got to empathize with them because they know themselves better than anyone. And how frustrating is it to be basically discounted? Yeah, that's boy. you spoke volumes there, Doc. Um, number one is people want to be heard. And I mean, I have a, um, a family members that are inside of the, the medical system and they don't, they're not given the time that they would love to spend with their patients and, yep. and talk through things. I mean, it's, it's big business. And I, I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but the reality is it's big business. So, um, and yeah, do I get, I get, I get what I call the Mayo dropouts that show up in our office. And then I've, I've seen this person, I've done that, I've tried this and, and I'm here. And if you can't fix me, doc, I'm not sure that I'm fixable. And number one is um, I feel that people just want to be heard. And, and they want to be able to tell their story. And I love stories. I love, um, I remember growing up, my, par my parents would watch the, the TV show Columbo. And I love how the connecting the dots. And I love helping people understand that the way that their body is responding 
is perfect based upon what they've experienced in their life or to help them understand that um, even for example, take lab work. Oh my gosh. If, if I had a nickel for every person that said, here's my lab work, my doctor said it's normal, but I feel like crap. Even to understand them all different doctors look at different lab work through different lenses mm -hmm. so that we, so that you can say, you know, they look at it to say, is this something that needs drugs or surgery? And we look at it to say, is that, is that organ system stressed? Does that show that there might be some infection? Does that show that there might be some autoimmune component? Number one, these people just, they want to be heard. They want to be like, you, you, you use the word discounted. And that is so, so true. Um, so hearing their story is a big part of it. And then for them to know that um, it it's a journey. I tell my patients, there is no easy button and there's no magic pill. I'm sorry. Okay. If you're looking for that, you're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. However, if you're willing to do some things that are free, some things that cost a little bit and, and do them consistently over time, like I, I don't have the exact number, but our, like our clinical quote unquote success rate is like 95%. And with the type of people that we work with, that's almost unheard of. However, we're super picky about who we let inside of our fold because it's not just the person. I mean, um, I treat probably about 70% females. And in some cases, um, they have husbands that are super supportive. And in some cases, they have husbands that are not. And okay. that makes a difference in their healing journey. Absolutely. And what would you say, how would you describe functional medicine versus traditional uh, Western medicine? Exactly. So first off is just the premise. It's the understanding that the body is healthy, the body is intelligent, and, and your symptom is actually a good thing. Whoa, mind blown. Mm -hmm. um, but functional medicine does not use drugs or surgery. Functional medicine looks at the same labs, uh, may even do some additional labs, and then uses things like diet, breath work, hydration, movement, supplementation, detoxification, uh, relationship work. I mean, so the approach is, is the original start is very similar, right? A person has a concern, they have symptoms, they have a story, and even the lab work. I love when people bring me their medical lab work because um, I look at it so differently. And it gives us an idea as to what's happening inside the body. And even that, they're like, oh my gosh, like I knew that something was going on. And then functional medicine, the premise inside of Western medicine, really there's, there's the doctor's premise and there's the patient's premise. Patients are taught that I only go to the doctor when something's wrong or I hurt, and I only talk to them about things that are bad. Uh, and in the doctor's standpoint, they need to see a person as few times as possible to gain a clinical result. Well, in functional medicine, we go on a journey together. Welcome to the family. Mm -hmm. We have lots of conversation. I'm a, I'm, I'm a part of the dinner conversation. And we also, we focus less on what's bad and we shift to say, what things are working well. Now we're not, it's not that we're not uh, concerned about the things that are bad, though people are not trained to tell their doctor what's better or what's good. So it's to train how they think and how they talk to their clinician also. Mm -hmm. You had touched on a little bit about autoimmune disease and I have celiac disease, so that's autoimmune. Right. Um, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with autoimmune diseases and how devastating they can be. So would you name a few of the autoimmune diseases that you commonly see and things that um, people could maybe do? Wow. Boy, we could talk about this for days. So <laughs> right. 
common autoimmune diseases that I see. Yes, celiac, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I see a ton of that. I see gobs of rheumatoid arthritis. I just had a lady today that had Sjogren's disease. Um, I see a lot of MS. I actually love treating people with MS because it responds so well. There are actually even, by the way, there's over a hundred different autoimmune diseases. So I could talk for a long time. Oh, fibromyalgia. Well, again, these, these questions, like we don't know what it is. They're even now saying that Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's have an autoimmune component. Here's the gist. Western medicine, this actually comes off of Johns Hopkins website. Their statement is that your immune system has gone rogue. Your immune system, for whatever reason, is doing what it's not designed to do. And it's identifying healthy tissue in your body as foreign tissue and it's attacking it. So that's the Western medical approach. And then their, uh, their treatment to it is to turn down or turn off the immune system. So they use what are called immune modulating medications. Like for example, if it's in the rheumatoid family, they use something called DMARDs. Get this guys, um, the average DMARD is somewhere between 10 and $15,000 a month with about a 30% success rate. Uh, and in some cases they even use chemotherapy drugs to address autoimmunity. Now, what I can tell you, uh, having done this now for almost 20 years, I'm probably 100,000-ish sets of labs into the game. Here is what I have found. Uh, and I believe that, I'm, I'm a man of faith, so I believe that these things don't happen by spite. Though the question is always why? The, I, the, function, the conversation behind functional medicine is what's the root cause? What is causing this? And, and if you're listening to this and you have a known autoimmune disease, or you are, have the effects of an autoimmune disease, or you're curious if you have an autoimmune disease, let's talk about your immune system for just a second. I'm going to try to do like immunology 101 here. <laughs> so um, one of the constituents of your immune system are your white blood cells. So if you get subjected to some type of an infection, a virus, a bacteria, a parasite, your, immune, your white blood cells raise. It's like, it's like your, your army has identified an enemy, so it deploys the troops. And then if your immune system is functioning properly, it kills the enemy and then your white blood cells fall back into a normal range. Well, that's what's supposed to happen. What happens, so in my clinical experience, in over 99% of the cases, what happens with autoimmunity is this. There is um, um, an enemy comes on board, again, some type of an infection. We mount an immune response. So the white blood cells, so if, if you see white blood cell counts of like 9, 10, 11, 12, that means that your body is under an acute new attack and it's fighting like mad. What we have found when we run the right labs is that the immune system is not able to kill the infections. Uh, there's chronic infections, there's multiple infections. So what happens is we see those white blood cells. You cannot maintain that level of troops, for example. So the white blood cells, they kind of peter out. So what I see in a huge percent of these cases is that people have a low white blood cell counts. What that means is that your army says, hey, we can't kill the enemy. And we're, we're actually to a point where we don't have enough soldiers anymore. So the enemy is taking over. And so if you're, if you're listening to this and you even have like your complete blood count, look at the very top number. It's called your WBC, white blood cells. If that number is five or less, that is even in the medical world indicated to know that there is a chronic infection inside of your body and your white blood cells are no longer able to fight. So that is the number one thing that I see. Now, how does autoimmunity fit into this? So back to a war analogy. Uh, in war, there's something that we don't like to talk about, and that's something called friendly fire. So your, your, the troops are overwhelmed by the enemy, and there's a firefight. And for whatever reason, one of our troops looks like one of the bad guys, and we fire a bullet at it. And we don't want to talk about friendly fire, but what I've learned in the world of autoimmunity is it is exactly that. It is friendly 
fire. Your immune system is so downtrodden. It is so overwhelmed that it is just throwing bullets out there. So the approach that, that I have found in the autoimmune world is that there's almost always an underlying chronic hidden infection. And uh, that can freak a lot of people out. However, when you do the right testing and you figure out what it is and you do the right journey to go after that, we see some pretty crazy results. Now, if, if, if someone's listening to this that has an autoimmune disease, I want you to be careful if you go to a clinician and they're like, we're gonna fix your autoimmune disease, we cure autoimmunity. Um, that doesn't happen, just so you know. Autoimmunity goes into remission. Um, so if someone makes that claim, I would run, not walk to the front door. <laughs> the ultimate goal is vitality. I want someone to have Hashimoto's or Graves or MS or rheumatoid, but have absolutely zero symptoms and a resilience from a health standpoint to where they feel like they've never felt in decades. Mm -hmm. So we treat people, not numbers, though the numbers give us guidance as to where to go. So I tell people a little monopoly joke, as I say, do not pass go, do not collect $200 if you have an infection, because if you have an infection, of course, your liver enzymes are going to be off, your kidney enzymes are going to be off, your heart's going to show stress, you're going to throw, show inflammatory markers. Mm -hmm. But instead of, and I, I even, there's a lot of natural health practitioners that they're like, oh, we don't do, we don't do traditional medicine, but they really do. You know, they're like, oh, we don't give, we don't give a Prilosec for heartburn relief. We give uh, digestive enzymes. And I'm like, how's that any different? You're still patching a symptom but you're just claiming you're doing it with something natural. The question is, why is there digestive enzymes that are off? And typically the other thing that we see with autoimmunity is leaky gut syndrome. Um, nine times out of 10, I don't know who the chicken or who the egg is because these people come to me a ways after the situation, but a uh, huge gut component. What do you think when you get a patient in who has had either their thyroid or gallbladder removed? Are you always like, oh, I wish I would have been able to see you before that? Well, I mean, uh, that, that's kind of a useless thought. It, it's, it's, um, there's, there's only so much you can do inside of that. It just changes the game, right? It, there's, a, there's a different set of cards in your hand and you have to, and, and, so, and so myself, like yourself, we don't have the ability to prescribe or unprescribe. So then it allows us to come alongside of a, uh, at least with the thyroid, you don't need to do it with the gallbladder. Uh, we come aside alongside a prescribing physician and we co-treat people. And I've actually... I've actually really enjoyed some of my opportunities to co-treat because I realized that, you know, my father-in-law says a statement. He's like, people are good people. Most people are good people. So it's not like we're attacking them uh, from a Western medical standpoint. And we're coming alongside with the ultimate goal to serve the patient though. The question is always, why was that taken out? Right? So mm -hmm. like, for example, um, what I can tell you is with in the gallbladder situation, while I had gallstones, typically it's your infect, your liver was so infected um, that it's shoved that infection into your gallbladder, your gallbladder covered that infection with some type of a calcification. And then they did this test and you don't elicit bile. So we're going to lop that baby out of there. So if you are, because this has happened to me a few times, if you are somewhere and someone is talking about how bad their gallbladder is and they're getting it removed, are you telling them how you can work with them or not? Because I will often not say anything. And my husband calls me out and he's like, why don't you do that? And I said, well, no one wants a know-it-all. And if they think that's what's best for them, who am I to tell them it's not? That's true. And I think we need to honor people's journey. And, and respectfully, some people that get their gallbladders removed, it does really change their health journey. The thing, the question that I may ask, and I'm getting better at asking questions uh, the older I get, is I would say something like, how does it make you feel uh, to have your gallbladder removed? How does that make you feel? 
And if they're like, oh, I hate it and I don't like the, oh, I just, oh, I wish I didn't have to do it. Then that's an opportunity to say, you know, have you considered or for whatever, I, I like to start sentences sometimes with, well, for whatever it's worth, I'm not sure if you've heard about this before, but there can be some things. Mm -hmm. uh, at least you plant a seed. One thing that I never want someone to say to me, and I say this to all of our clients, is I never want you to say to me, how come you never told me? Right? It's because we made an assumption. Uh, yet, we don't need to tell everybody. So there's, there's that emotional intelligence, that's, that discernment inside of that. So I think it's a, you know, a little litmus test might be something like, well, tell me how that makes you feel. And then you can get an idea of their spirit um, with that potential upcoming uh, you know, procedure. I like that. And I get a lot of people who will say, I've never had to go to a chiropractor because I can adjust myself. And I'll just say, oh. And then again, my husband's like, why don't you tell them they're really not adjusting themselves? I'm like, again, it's not my place. Like they can come to me, but I, that's, I try to kind of stay in my own lane when it comes to that. You know, I think um, I look at the life of Christ and I, I mean, a, a gentleman always there. Uh, I'm here for you all the time. What I do will never change. Who I am will not change. Uh, and I'm here. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I hurt for you. I yearn for you. I love you. Yet you have free will. And, and I think that's something that I've really tried to hold on to in my, in my serving people is what would that look like? How, how could I be Christ-like in the approach mm -hmm. to that? Now, when someone's hired us to do work for them and they're practicing their free will, sometimes I have to remind them of what they've hired us to do for them because mm -hmm. some people need to be fought for. Some people have never been fought for in their life. Some people um, don't feel like they're worthy to be well. Some people may have told that, been told by mothers, fathers, teachers, or preachers that they are not worthy of living that type of life. And, and I believe that part of my calling is to reveal the potential of others. And uh, I mean, again, the, the science of functional medicine is easy. The art is where the magic comes into play. And I enjoy those potential revealing conversations. I had just told someone yesterday, I cherish my free will. And I think it surprised her for me to say that, but sometimes we surrender it when we do need help, but that's our choice. And that's where I'm always hung up. Perfect. And here, if you brought someone in that was against their will, how good of a patient are they going to be anyway? They're not. Exactly. Right? Like, I'm sorry, this is, you're not, you're, you don't want this. Mm -hmm. And, and, and by the way, you don't have to be here. My wife was actually, my wife's an occupational therapist and she worked in the nursing home world for many years and her clients had to receive care so that they could actually Medicare would pay for their stay. And I was like, wait, you've had people that have refused care. Like, she's like, yeah. I'm like, if they did that in our clinic, I'd be like, well, there's the door. Like, I, that's not how we do it here. So it helped me understand that, that some people just, they do things differently. Mm -hmm. How important do you think it is to practice what you preach? Because especially living in a small town, I am not perfect by any means, but I really do try to stay true to what I tell people to do. I try to do it myself. How, how important do you think it is to live, um, live that lifestyle? You know, I think the word grace comes into play a lot. Um, uh, there is this pressure that we feel as clinicians, as natural healers, that no one should ever see us with a bun in our hand. No one should ever see us with a beer in our hand. Uh, is that beef grass-fed, grass-finished, free-range? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't believe that that's, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. uh, do we expect our patients to bat a thousand all the time? Or could they bat 70% and still get well? And I've seen this, again, I've been in this, this, this profession now for almost 20 years. I've seen these families where like, no pop, everything's gluten-free. Uh, you can't do this. You can't do that. And these kids go to college and they are drunk and pregnant the first semester. <laughs> it's, 
Not just, funny, but funny. I mean, it's it, it, right. And you're like, ooh, that one kind of struck to some people because right. um, we, we, you know, we can be of the world, but not in the world. Yet, if we try to put a cocoon around ourselves, yeah. then and what does that do for us? So we try to bat the majority in our house. Um, you know, we, we, we buy the right, when, when I can control the situation, I control the situation. And when I can't, I don't lose sleep over it. Mm-hmm. And you see, I got called out because I was talking to someone about getting a hot tub and they said, you're going to get a hot tub and sit in chlorine. And I was like, well, no, I was looking, you know, more at the different, you know, water ones and whatever. And it's funny because, and it's fine. I mean, it is fine because, you know, I need to be honest with what I'm doing, but we will go out sometimes and my kids will have a pop or whatever, but they don't have pop all the time. Do I buy Easter candy? No, I don't because I just don't buy candy in general, but everything in moderation. Yeah. I think we need to be careful if if we're around that person that is saying, do this, don't do that. Um, What I think in many cases is we're around a person that potentially has a self-worth that um, would never want someone to point out their inadequacies or their shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And they'd like to show people what they're doing wrong and how it is. And I, uh, we bought our family, our, our kids Easter candy, and we had a ball. We, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't eat four pounds of it, but they probably had 15, 20 pieces. And is that going to take 10 years off their life? No. I don't think so. But you know what it allowed? It, um, it was part of the conversation of a social situation where they had a sweet conversation with, with their grandparents and there was loves and hugs and kisses. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to step back and look at the big picture. We need to, I mean, if, if we tried to control every variable, we would just sit in the corner and rock mm-hmm. because I mean, like, what's your air quality? Um, is, what's, what's the furnace filter? Uh, how old is that carpet? Like, stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are so sensitive that they have to do some of those things. Yes. And, 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 and most people don't. Yep. And I think grace for yourself, self-forgiveness, self-love, mm-hmm. uh, moderation yes. is, is a big part of this conversation. Last I checked, none of us are getting out alive. So, <laughs> um, you know, experience life for what it's worth. Obviously we're not, again, we're not going, we're not doing the belly flop in the deep end right. yet. Come on, like let's, let's raise kids and let's be people that can be a part of society and we don't have to like do everything. Like, I mean, I, I have some pretty strong stances on things, yet I don't put a flag in my front yard that says no candy at this house. I mean, we got to be mindful of that. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids because every, I, I'm not a big drinker, but every now and then I'll have a drink. And my son said, it seems like you're having a lot of drinks. And I said, crew, if you, if a person has a drink now and then it's okay. I said, if I'm drinking every day, that means I have a problem. So, you know, like sometimes they're all or none too, but they're learning. They're learning from us. And I love that you said they're modeling us. They're modeling us. Right. So, so what I would ask crew is crew, help me understand what makes you think that mommy's having too many mm-hmm. because maybe heard mommy say something about someone doing something wrong. So he thought he was doing right. That's a good point. So, we have five kids. So I tell you what, I, I could probably write a novel about how to be the most hypocritical father in the world because our kids, they model us. Do. So I love, I'm, what I'm learning is just ask questions. And, and there's a great book called Never Split the Difference by a guy named Chris Voss. And he says, you never start a question with the word why. Because when, you, when someone says why to you, you're defensive, right? Dr. Sarah, why, why would you even think about getting a hot tub as opposed to start the sentence with help me understand? Hey, Dr. Sarah, help me understand uh, the thought process around the hot tub and what things you've researched. Now you can explain it to me instead of defend it to me. 
I really like that you said that because a lot of times if my kids do something and either one of us say, why did you do that? It's like they clam up and it's like, it was a question. You can't, ask. that is a, I love that. It was an accusation. Yes, it is. I mean, I, le- I learned from you today, but that, that might be my takeaway point for the day. So Help I appreciate me understand. That. Help me understand. And then, then, then there can be a conversation. Yes. So good. I think that's fascinating. And I think it's great that you help people via Zoom and phone calls and whatnot. So I would like to get all that information in case someone listening does have an autoimmune disease or has another health question, concern, complaint. And um, hopefully, Dr. Greg can help you out as well. That's cool. Uh, If you don't mind, so they can just go to drgreg.health. I do free phone consults and I do them for free because Uh, I tell people lovingly, my initials are GM, not JC, like Jesus Christ, I can't fix everything. And I want someone to have a good conversation with me so I can be honest with them and not just assume that I can be the savior and fix all things. So I love those conversations. It gives people a chance to tell their story. Uh, It allows me to give them a little dose of hope and and love. And, And if I feel like we can help them, we talk about that. And if I can't, I try to point them in the right direction. I love it. Well, I appreciate everything that you do for everyone that you serve. And I appreciate your time today. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Sarah. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback. So ratings and reviews are appreciated. 